Welcome to the Adventure Church Podcast. We're excited you're here, and we hope today's message encourages you, builds your faith, and brings you hope for the future. May God bless you as you listen in to today's message. I want to get back into the message today, Fight for Heaven, and I know that I'm not going to get done with it, so I'll, I'll, I'll just give you some relief already. You'll probably look at your notes thinking, man, how's pastor going to get through all this? No, I know I'm not going to get through all of it, but I, I'm going to get as best I can. So somebody say Amen. You know, they always say when the pastor comes up to speak, there's three things he needs to do. Stand up, speak up, and you can figure out the other one. Right? Up. And I will, I will come to that. I just don't say that word in my house, so you can figure it out. I don't say that word. And so S-H-U, and you figure the rest, right? And so stand up, speak up, and yeah. And so I'm going to do that here right now. Well, I want to talk to you today again, second part of Fighting for Heaven. By the way, if you want to order your shirts, you can do so in the back. Also, our mugs, we sold out of our mugs. We got a reorder of mugs coming in. So I want to encourage you, if you're not ordered or gotten your mug, you can get one. Uh, they'll be coming in with a new shipment. But I am doing a series called Fight for Heaven. And I believe that God wants us to fight and stand up for what is right. Last week we talked about, amen, somebody say amen, amen. We, last week we talked about fighting for heaven with a weapon, our choice of weapon is truth. How many know that the truth sets us free? That our choice of weapon needs to be truth. That God, I stand on the truth. And so if you have your notes, it's not on your notes, but last week, truth sets us free. How many know that truth sets us free? Amen? I'm reminded of a little story about a, a, a brother and sister who went to the grandma's house. And when they were at grandma's house, the little boy had a slingshot. And so the, the little boy and the little girl went outside, and the little boy was taking a slingshot, and he was shooting trees and things and so on. And finally he saw one of grandma's ducks out there in the yard. So he thought to himself, man, I'm going to pull my slingshot back and I'm going to see if I can hit this duck. So sure enough, the little boy pulled back his slingshot, shot the rock and bam, knocked the duck out. Not only knocked the duck out, but took the duck out. He took his life out, right? And so the little girl saw that, man, her brother took this duck out. So the little boy, man, thought he was sneaky and so on. So he picked up the duck and he hid the duck. And so that next day they go into the house and, man, the mother, the grandmother says to the boy, the girl the next day, that hey, um, it's your turn, Susie, to do the dishes. It's your turn to do this and you got to get this done. And all of a sudden the little girl looked at her brother and said, no, it's his turn. The little boy replied back to her, no, it's not my turn, Susie, it's your turn. And she turned back to him and says, remember the duck? <laughs> and a lot of times what happens is truth sets you free. It gets you away or breaks you off the snares of the enemy. It breaks you out of the traps or the lies of the enemy, and it sets you free from any um, lies or snares or dis uh, mistruth or misconception. It sets you free from that. And so that's why we need to walk in truth, that you don't have to hide behind a bush. You don't have to cover up one thing after another because you're free indeed, right? Another thing, truth defeats the devil. I mean, you know, the truth defeats the devil. The opposite of truth is lies and the we know that the Bible says in John 8, 44, that the devil is the father of lies, the author of confusion. So the opposite of lies is truth. If you want to dispel the enemy, start speaking in truth. You dispel the enemy by speaking in truth. I'm going to speak the truth because the truth is going to set me free, free and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, the truth of God's word. The second thing it does, a third thing, truth guides your steps. Drive, guide your steps. I'm going to walk in truth. It's going to guide my steps. It's going to guide my life. It's going to lead me down the path of righteousness for my namesake. To God, I'm going to walk in truth. If you want to win this war here on earth, we are going to have to do that by standing on truth. That God, I'm going to stand in the truth of your word and the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And the old saying is this. The old saying is truth hurts, but it also delivers and sets us free. How many know that's true? A lot of times we don't like to be exposed, but once we are exposed and we get the truth out, it's a relief knowing that, hey, man, everything's been exposed. I'm free. I'm free from that, and I'm set free. I don't have to carry around this lie or deceit in my life anymore. I am free. It hurts for that moment, but it brings relief once it is exposed, right? Another one is this. The believer's foundation is built on God's word. 
on God's word. God's word is truth, right? And that's the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And I came up with that statement because Tuesday they had court in here. And I don't know, maybe you saw it and you heard it. They had court in here and it went well. And now we're on the news. It was already live streamed down to Madison over here to Burnett County. They live streamed everything that was going on here on Tuesday that the court they had. But what is the whole thing when you stand before a jury or you stand before the judge, they have you raise your hand and they said, you swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? So why do they say that? Because they put everything under God that God is truth. God is not the author of lies or confusion, but he's truth, and the truth will set you free. But in Ephesians chapter 6, I love this, and we're going to pick up from where we left off last week, where Paul was talking about our battle is not against flesh and blood. How many know our battle is not against each other? But the enemy wants us to feel that our battle is not against flesh, that it's against each other. But Paul picks up again after he says that our battle is not against flesh and blood or principalities, those things are high places and dark places. That's what our battle is about. So after he talks about the battle, he tells us to suit up and get ready for the battle. How many know that we're always in a battle? The enemy never tires. The Bible says he's like a lion roaming to and fro looking for whom he may devour. He's always out trying to devour, come against you, to attack you, bring you down, discourage you. We're always in a constant battle. I'm always looking at that. I don't know about you, but I love watching wildlife. When we were in Arizona, we took a kayak trip down the Salt River there in Arizona, and we went into kayaking. And while we were kayaking, they have a thousand, they say they have a thousand horses, no kidding, a thousand wild horses that range on this open range there in Arizona that runs along the Salt River. So as we're going down in our kayaks, guess what we're seeing? All these wild horses. And it was so cool, man. It was fun. Man, there were some that really got close to you. One that looked like a cross between a donkey and a horse. I don't know what kind it was. It looked like, I don't know, they really got wild with but uh, but it was crazy, and it, and it was so fun because we were going down this, this thing, and, and it was so fun. But I love watching wildlife. But you ever notice like a deer or something? They're always seeming to be on the alert. Man, they're always bobbing their heads. If you look at them out, out the window and you're watching them, they're always keenly aware of their presence, of things around them. They're always alert. Why? Because they're predators There's, that come against them. And what the enemy is like is like he's our predator. He's always coming against us. And as a deer is always alert to the attacks of the wolf or a coyote or whatever it may be, that's the same thing in our lives, that we need to be alertly or keenly aware that the enemy is like a lion roaming to and fro, that we need to be alert or keenly aware that we're going to be attacked and he wants to attack us, right? So if we already know that he wants to attack, we shouldn't be surprised by that because the Bible says in 1 Peter that don't be surprised by the many tax that you're going to go through in your life, but don't be surprised by that, but stand up and resist the enemy and he shall flee. So in Ephesians chapter 6, I love what now Paul is saying, that you're going into battle, so when you go into battle, you got to get ready and get suited up for battle. I, uh, I remember when I was pastoring in Oklahoma City, we had a staff of 37 people on staff. Our church was over 6,000 people, and man, it was great. And we would meet in the sanctuary on the, every first Monday of the month, all entire staff. But every Monday, the, the, the intimate staff, the immediate staff, the youth pastor, the associate pastor, and not all the other assistants would meet. But every, every last Monday of the month, the whole entire staff would meet. And we would make this big circle in the sanctuary. And our pastor would lead us in suiting up. And he would lead us by saying, hey, let's put on the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth. And we'd act like we were ready for battle. And we'd act like we're putting on every piece of the armor. And while we're doing that, I'm not kidding you, as we put on the belt of truth, guess what it began to do? It began to get you confidence. Say, hey, I'm getting suited up. I'm getting prepared. I'm getting ready. I'm getting equipped for the battles of the attack. Then we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Then we shot our feet and all these different things. By the time we got done, I'm not kidding, all 37 of us would start clapping and cheering and hollering because why? We are prepared and ready for battle. And a lot of times what happens, what Paul is doing is he's preparing you and keeping you alert and letting you know that, hey, you're going to go through a battle, but are you ready for the battle. And a lot of times what happens with us, we go through the battle and we're not ready for the battle. Instead of us winning the battle, we lose the battle and we get discouraged and want to quit because we're not suited up. But look at what Paul says in verse 13. I love this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Now, this is why. So that you, so that when the day of evil comes, now how many of you know that the day of evil is going to come? The enemy never tires. It's going to come. 
you know, whenever there's some good things happen, get ready for the bad. Because we always say, man, I'm waiting for the shoe to fall. Have you ever said that before, right? The enemy is always trying to attack and bring you down. So be prepared. He says, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. So in other words, you're able to stand your ground. So he said, put on the full armor of God. Be prepared. Be equipped for the battle or struggle that's going to come your way. I have a T-shirt. Shirt. Man, I love it. It's, it's, it's cool. And every time I wear it, I get a, man, people look at me like crazy. On my front of my shirt, it says, don't fight naked. And I mean big, big print. And when I walk to people and I walk up to you, people are looking at my shirt like deer in headlights. What? Don't fight naked. And on the bottom it says, see back. So then I turn around because I know they're watching me, Harlan. And so they're looking with deer in headlights and they're looking, don't fight naked. See back. So I turn around deliberately and says, put on the full armor of God. And they had this armor, this, this soldier. And, man, he's got the full armor. But what I love about it is that when you look at the full armor, here's the added piece to what the armor looks like. He has a toothpick in his mouth like, man, I got it together. And everybody that I wear that shirt, man, they crack up. They look at me, don't fight naked. See back. So I pause no matter where I'm going. I turn around deliberately so they can see my shirt, right? So don't fight naked. Why? Because if you fight naked, you're going to get defeated. But you got to have place, uh, positioned yourself in the armor. Then he goes on to say, watch this in verse 14. Stand firm. Now watch this. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Man, now notice what God is saying. How do you come against the enemy? Your choice of weapon starts with what? Truth, right? Starts with truth. Now watch this. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So in other words, now to protect your organs, protect your heart, your heart is the wellspring of life. And what is your breastplate attached to? The belt of truth. Every part of the armor attaches to truth, to truth. So when you go against the enemy, you have to weigh your attack. Is this truth or is this a lie? Is this for real or is it not real? Is it line up with what God's word is saying? Then it goes on to say after the breastplate, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So in other words, you shod your feet with the readiness of the gospel. And back in those days, the reason why he said that, they were like steel-toed shoes, but even more all around the bottom of your feet. And the reason why is because the Roman soldiers, they did a lot of torture. And what happens is that when you were walking on their ground or their sacred ground or their territory, these spikes would all of a sudden come up out of the ground. And you know what happens. If they can injure your feet, guess what that's going to do? It's going to paralyze you and stop you, and you're not going to be able to run. So they said, listen, you got to shod your feet with the readiness of the gospel. But what else does that happen when you shod your feet? If you, like, wear waders or fishermen, they wear waders, and what does it do? It comes up to your waist. And what happens back in those days, those, they would shod their feet, and they would connect to the belt of truth that would hold them in place from falling down. I don't know about you, but the other day when we were in Arizona, and please, if you're like this person, I'm not trying to single you out or trying to uh, label you. But we were in Arizona, and there was this <laughs> couple, I kid you not, that was in front of Cheryl and I. And he had his hand always like this. He couldn't take his hand off here. And the reason why, his drawers were falling down. And I mean, I don't know why they do that. I don't like seeing somebody's behind. And especially I don't like to see their fruit of the loom, you know what I'm saying? And they're, he's holding on to his belt of truth. The truth is if I let go of this, my drawers are going to fall down. I don't understand that nonsense. But they're walking and he's holding on. And he's got his arm around his girlfriend with his other arm. He, I'm bad. I said, man, I got to go the other direction. Man. But you know what I'm talking about? So everything attaches to the truth. And so we got to remember that the truth will set you free. But then, look, I love this. Listen to this. It says, then, out your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel. Now watch this. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith 
which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, do you ever think about that? What is he talking about? Whenever they went into battle, what they did is they would take leather and they would place it on the front of the shield. And the night before the battle, the leather was maybe an inch thick, and they would soak it in water. And the reason why they say that is they would soak it in water, and once they would get on ready for battle, they would place this leather over the shield that when the fiery darts came, guess what it did? It hit the shield or sunk into the leather, the leather that was full of water. It would extinguish or put out the fire. So that's what they did. But then it goes on to say this. Watch this. I love this next verse. It says, take on the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation, why? You overcame it by the, what, your mind. Your mind is the battlefield, right? That's where the enemy loves to attack. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. If the enemy can make you walk in confusion, fear, and worry, and doubt, guess what? He's going to win. I always say, when in doubt, push it out. So he says, transform your renewing of your mind. But look at what he ends with. He ends with this. Then he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God was, is what? It's truth. If you ever notice what he says in putting on the full armor of God, it starts with truth and it ends with truth. Truth is the bookends that holds everything together. When you walk out of line, with truth, guess what happens? Everything else falls out of place. So that's why he's saying you have to put on the belt of truth, and then you have to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and is truth. Truth will set you free. Truth overcomes evil. So if you want to walk in truth, and if you want to walk in freedom, walk in truth, and you will win the battle. You will win the battle. Don't be like that little boy who shot the duck. Man, it'll always be confined by fear, worry, and doubt. Man, walk it out and say, God, I'm gonna, the truth will set me free. I'm going to confess my sins. You're faithful and just, and you're going to purify me from all unrighteous. God, I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have anything to be worried about. I don't have anything holding me back or anything that's in my conscience that I'm that I I lied or cheated or this, that, and the other thing because I am walking in truth. Amen? So I like this. The first piece of the armor was belt of truth. The second is that, is the sword of the spirit, which is the only offensive weapon. The sword of the spirit or the word is the only offensive weapon. Now you got to get this. The Bible says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So you got to get that. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Here's what I always say about the Word of God. How many of you know that every time you seem to read the Word of God, something different pops out at you? You could read this verse over and over again, and, man, every time you seem to read it over and over again, something new pops out at you. How many know what I'm talking about? And the reason why is because it's living. Aren't you, man, I wish that, man, I still had my physique that I had back in junior high. You change, right? Right? The Word of God is living. It's active. And every time you read it, it has something different or applies something different to your life. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And that's what it's all about. It all starts with truth. And so if you ever think about a double-edged sword, a single-edged sword, you can only wing or, or sway it one way. And then if you go that way, you have to turn the, the blade that way. But a double-edged sword, you can sway it both ways and cut both ways, up and down, side to side, behind you, whatever the case may be. And so what God is saying is if you walk in truth, the word of God or the spirit of God and the sword of the spirit, you can sway the enemy either way. Whatever side he attacks you, from the right to the left, in front of you, behind you, you can sway or sway this, this, the sword and you can put the enemy to asunder because why? The truth that is in you through the spirit of God. But also, I love this. In Matthew chapter 4, Here's a prime example of Jesus walking in truth. Randy, I, I love this part. Jesus demonstrating the power of truth. The truth will set you free. Jesus here in this story in Matthew chapter 4, as you many of you know, he went away to pray, to be in a solitude place, to hear from God, to hear from his Father, get the orders from headquarters. He wanted to be with God, but when he wanted to be with God, he wanted to fast. How many of fasting means sacrificing, giving up something, and replacing it with the Spirit of God? I don't know about you, but I love the fast. I, many of you know, you may not know, I don't let my right hand know what the left hand is doing, and I don't tell you when I'm fasting, but I love to fast. I love the fast because God 
God, I'm going to show you that I'm going to be committed and I'm willing to sacrifice and to give up something for the sake and for the cause of you. That's what fasting is all about, that God, I'm going to decrease by fasting, emptying out, and you're going to increase in the area that I sacrifice and give to you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And one of the ways that you can obtain the greatness of God in your life is by giving up something and let him fill that place in which you give up. So that's what fasting is. So what Jesus was doing, he was fasting. But he wasn't just fasting for one day, one meal, one week. He was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, if you know anything about fasting, I went on an extensive fast, and, man, I'm telling you, your tongue starts sticking to the roof of your mouth. Your pores, you start drying up, and you start, I hate to say it, but you start smelling. I mean, there's a lot of things that take place when you start fasting for an extensive period of time. Another thing is your body, you start also eating up the body fat within your body. All these things start to happening. You start, man, you start getting some headaches because you start getting thirsty. And all these things start taking place, and all of a sudden your body goes into a shock. It goes into a place of fatigue and weariness, and you go through all these different phases. By the third week when I got done fasting my 40 days, by the third week when I got done doing that, by the third week it was it got better and I, my body got used to it, and I started having more smoother sailing. The first couple of weeks of your fasting is the hardest part. So you can now see Jesus who's been fasting now for 40 days. He's weary. He's tired. He's weak. He's fatigued. All these things is going on. And then on top of that, like I told you last week, the enemy loves to attack you when you're at your lowest of lows and your highest of highs. So all of a sudden, here's Jesus. He's fatigued. He's wore out trying to get intimate with God. Here are the orders from headquarters, right? All of a sudden, he's approached by the enemy. Now, when we're approached by the enemy, we're maybe not approached by him face-to-face, eye-to-eye. But we're approached by him by a heavy spirit, by a burden that he puts on us by intimidation, fear, anxiety. That's how the enemy loves to approach us, and that's how he comes against us. If you know what happened with David, when David faced Goliath, what did Goliath do to the Israelites and Saul? He did nothing. He didn't come out and battle with them. All he did was come out and roar. And every time he roared, what did Saul and all his army do? They retreated. They retaliated. Why? Because they were intimidated by his voice and by his size, and so they got fear. And what a fear do? Fear made them run and retreat. And what the enemy does to us a lot of times, he likes to intimidate us. He likes to intimidate us and come against us. So that's how he uses us. But how would you like to be face, face-to-face, eye-to-eye with the enemy? Jesus was. In a weak stage of his life, and look at how he overcame the enemy. In Matthew 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The wilderness, not the wilderness, you know, campgrounds or place where you were last night, but the wilderness means a place of dry, being dry, or a place where you need to be refreshed at. And so here he was, he said, being tempted by the devil, face to face, eye to eye. Man, toe-to-toe, being tempted by the enemy. But look at what he had. He says in verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh, I think I would be too, right? Right? Weak, tired, my stomach's growling. I feel like Daniel in the lion's den is growling. Man, I'm, I'm fatigued. I'm wore out. But then he goes on to say, the tempter came to him. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. What does he, man, automatically attack is the physical need. Tell these stones to become bread. But here's the reply of Jesus, and this is where I wanted to let you know, is truth will set you free. Truth overcomes evil. Here's Jesus' reply. Jesus answered, it is written. It is written, if you have your Bible, put truth. It is written, truth. And here's the truth. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Truth. Right? It is written. 
And a lot of times what happens in our life, we try to combat the enemy, to defeat the enemy with our own vocabulary, our own words, our own wisdom, our own knowledge. And I'm here to tell you, let me tell you, if you're trying to combat the enemy with your own strength, wisdom, and knowledge, you're going to lose. But you can only overcome them by the word of the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, and the word of their testimony. This is what God did for me. Thy word have I hidden in thy heart that I might not sin against God. The role of the Holy Spirit is to bring to remembrance it's the word of God that's hidden in you, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, you're able to raise up a standard against it. And what's that standard? The standard is the word of God, truth that defeats the enemy. Right? Amen. Somebody say amen. Yeah, come on. Don't patty cake them. Yay. <laughs> watch what he says. He goes on to say this. Now watch this. I always say three strikes and you're out. Then the enemy took him to a, the holy city. And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now watch this. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So in other words, what was he trying to do? He was trying to attempt the Lord, trying to trap him, trying to get him detoured off the word, trying to get him detoured off the truth. But look at Jesus' response. Jesus answered him again. It is also written, truth. It is also written. He came against him with the word of God. He came against him with the sword of the Spirit, truth. Do not put the Lord your God to test. I always say this. When you go through a test, here's the, here's the deal. When you go through a test, it's also to give you a testimony. That's why you have a test. You wouldn't have a testimony if you never had a test. And you have a testimony because I've passed the test. And therefore, because I passed the test, I now have a testimony to share with others. If God did it for me, he can do it for you. Right? So he overcame it. It is written. But then he goes on in verse 8. Watch this. He says, again, the enemy took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Man, another temptation. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. What does the Bible say? Thou shalt have no other gods before him, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Then he goes on to say, what did Jesus say? Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. It is written. Truth. See, it is written. Truth. If you want to be free, you want to remind the enemy of his defeat, you speak the truth. The truth is God's word. Watch this. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three strikes you're out. Verse 11 is key. Watch this. Jesus overcame the enemy face-to-face, toe-to-toe with truth. He said, then the enemy or the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. You see how Jesus won? He overcame the enemy with truth. If you want to win this war in which we are in, you need to overcome the enemy with truth. You need to overcome the enemy with God's word. But in saying that, I want to show you some things that the enemy loves to do. Last week we talked about schemes, that the enemy has a lot of schemes. For we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes, 2 Corinthians 2.11. We are not unaware of his schemes, his attacks, and how he comes against us. A scheme is trying to set you up, Jamie, to make you fall. A scheme is what? To make a scheme against each other, to fight against each other, to break up disunity, to break up fellowship, and make us walk angry and hatred. That's a scheme of the enemy. He loves to divide schemes. A scheme is to try to make you walk out of faith with God. That's a scheme that the enemy tries to do. And that's why we are not unaware of schemes. But today, I want to talk to you about the enemy's greatest attacks. His greatest attacks. Now, attacks are different from schemes. Attack, he wants to attack you as an individual. So watch this. The power, the power of truth over Satan's deadliest attacks. What is his number one deadliest attack that he wants to come against people about? Number one is this, physical. The enemy's deadliest attack that he first and foremost wants to attack you with, with your physical need. 
If he can attack you physically, it makes you start doubting and questioning God and his sovereignty, his power to heal, his power to deliver, his power to, uh, man, to, to turn your situation around, your pain around. You Listen, pain will drive you to do some whatever it takes to get relief. And so the enemy wants to, man, insert pain on your life, whether it be physical in your life. He wants to put that pain on your life to make you surrender and say, no mas, no mas, I quit, I give up, I throw in the towel, take it away from me. Man, several uh, years ago, I got a, a little piece of lint on my contact. And, man, I put my contact, I didn't even know it was there, it was so small, minute. But that little thing got in my contact, and I put it on my eye. And I mean to tell you, man, it made my eye water, my eye all red. It was so painful that I kid you not, I literally fell to my knees. Man, I'm not kidding you. It was something that small, but it was tearing my eye up so bad that, I, man, I finally I had to take it off, and I thought I washed it. I couldn't get it off. I took some of my contacts. So finally, after the third time, I got that little piece of lint out that I didn't even see, but that little bit, man, made me drop to my knees. Isn't that exactly what the enemy does? A little bit of yeast works through a whole batch of dough, and he comes at you and he attacks you physically. He attacks you physically to make you surrender or to give up. Pain will drive you to your knees. Pain will drive you to do things that you shouldn't do. I love the story of Job. In Job chapter 2, God is speaking there. But leading up to Job chapter 2 in Job 1, the enemy came to the Lord, and he asked that, hey, let me, let me take Job out. And the Lord said, yeah, you can take Job out, but just don't kill him. And so here's what happened with Job. Now tell me if you're going to trust God. And what happens is it comes against you physically. Your first attack that the enemy will come is physically. And what happened with Job was, number one, is this. A messenger of the Lord in Job chapter 1, a messenger of the Lord came to Job and said, Job, man, a fire just came and it just wiped out your houses and killed all your goats and your sheep. Wow. Can you imagine that? His livelihood? Then another one. Job, foreigners just came and they stole all your camels and they took all your wealth. Physically. Physically. Those things that we value the most is what the enemy tries to take from you. Job. The enemies came and he, he sent a message to Job. Job, he, he, he just wiped out your kids and took your whole livelihood, your family. Then, what else did he do? He afflicts Job with sickness. And what was he doing? He was attacking Job physically. He was attacking Job. Man, I don't know about you, but man, if somebody come against my grandkids or my kids, I'm a papa bear. How many know what I'm talking about? You mess with them, you're going to mess with me. You mess with me, you're going to mess with fire, I'm going to knock you out. Papa going to knock you out. Papa, right? And you get, hey, you. And so what did he do? He came at Job physically. And so in Job chapter 2, verse 4, look at what he says. He says, skin for skin, Satan replied. Amen. Now watch this. He's talking to you now. A man will give all he has for his own life. Watch this. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones. Physically. And he will surely curse you to your face. See the attack? He comes against you, Karen, and he says, look, if I attack Karen physically, she will surely curse God and want to die. She will surely curse God and question his sovereignty, his power, his spirit, his might, his ability to heal. She will surely give up. That's why it's the first attack that he comes against you. But watch what he says. He's saying this now. He says, the Lord said to Satan, very well then. He is in your hands. In other words, God has given him permission. Go ahead, attack him. See what he's going to do. God knows everything. He sees all, knows all, hears all. He knew the depth of Job's faith. 
And sometimes in your life you may go through a struggle and you don't understand it and you don't like it. Maybe, just maybe, God knows better than you do. He knows the depths of your faith. He knows your faith in him, your trust in him, your belief in him. And he knows that you're going to hang on in the midst of the storm. He says, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. You can afflict him, you can come against him, you can do these attacks on his body physically, but just don't take him out. Because God knew that Job trusted. You see, listen, then he goes on to say in verse 10, watch this. He says to his wife, this is his wife saying to him, because he saw the misery and the pain that Job was in in his life. The Bible said he took a broken piece of clay, a jar of pottered clay, and he scraped off the scales and the the boils that were on his body and his flesh. That's how much pain and agony he was in. So his wife was doing the right thing. Oh, Job, my husband, my dear, the love of my life, don't keep going through this suffering. Man, give up. Just quit. I understand. Have you ever had people in your life that they mean well, but sometimes they speak death over you? And here she was. She was speaking death. Hey, Job, just give up. I don't like seeing you in this misery. Here's Joel's reply. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Look at Job's reply. Shall we accept good from God? And when God blesses us, we're happy, happy, happy. When he doesn't, we're sad, we're sad, we're mad. Did you get that? We're sad, we're sad, we're mad. Why? Because where's the blessing, blessing, blessings? God, where are you when I need you most? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You see, we have to accept the good and the bad. It comes both ways. In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. In other words, he didn't give up. He didn't quit and throw in the towel when he was faced with pressure. But here's the ultimate end because he didn't give up. In Job 42, verse 10, when you get to the last chapter of Job, because he didn't give up, after Job had prayed for his friends, those that told him to curse God and die, his wife, those that told him to quit, throw in the towel, look at what the Lord did. The Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is a rewarder of those who hold on and don't quit and see the, 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 this trial to the end. God never gives up on his word, so don't you ever give up on him. You have to recognize where the attack is coming from. Instead of getting mad at God and using all your energy and all your fear and all your anxiety, man, take that energy, worry, and fear. Take it at the devil and say, devil, enough is enough in Jesus' name. But a lot of times what we do is we turn to God and say, God, why? And the enemy's behind you laughing. Yeah, I love it, love it. Go ahead. He's the peanut gallery that speaks in your ear and says, give up on God. Yeah. No, you need to do about faces enough, devil. Enough is enough. I draw a line in the sand. You will no longer come against my mind, body, soul, and spirit. You will not take me down. I'm taking you down in Jesus' name. And when you take him down, you need to start shouting, Timber! Because he's going down by truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen? Now, I got, I got, I got to move on. I'm going to close. I, I told you. This is part of my book. I'm not going to get it all done, but write this down. you got to write this down real quick, and then we're close. There are two types of promises that, that I've given you. When God gives you promises in the Word of God, you got to get this. When God gives you promises, there are two types of promises. Number one is an unconditional promise. An unconditional promise means this. The unconditional promise that God says to you that man cannot interfere or break apart or stop. And the unconditional promise, number one, is that he's coming back again. That's an unconditional promise. No man can stop God from coming back again. 
That's an unconditional promise. You know what another unconditional promise is? That God will never leave you nor forsake you if you are a believer in him. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. That's an unconditional promise. His love never stops loving you. That's an unconditional promise. He loves you, accepts you just for who you are. But here's a conditional problem. A conditional problem is you having to do your part. God says if you draw near to God, that's your part, the condition, then drawing near to God, then he will what? Draw near to you. The second part of that is seek me and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened. Ask and it shall be given. That's the conditional part. You have to do your part for him to do his part. That God will jump in your boat when you start doing your part. So there's the unconditional promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you. He will come regardless of what man tries to do, stop him, whatever. But the condition is that I'm going to draw near to God and he's going to draw near to me. That's the conditional problem. So if there's two problems, I'm going to close with this. Here's the unconditional problem. Philippians 4.19. You know what Paul is saying to the church of Philippi? He starts out by saying in verse 19, My God, my God, the unconditional promise will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That is an unconditional promise. He's established forever. God didn't say I'll meet all your wishes, but I'll meet all your needs. Here's another unconditional promise. I love this. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. By his wounds you are healed. That is an unconditional problem. Man can't stop that. Man may try to detour you, get you discouraged. Or enemy may try to speak into your ear and believe that. But God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. That is by his stripes. I am healed. Why did he bore those stripes? So he can take upon your sicknesses, your sins, your fears in your life, that he can make you whole and healed again. That's an unconditional promise. Romans 8, 37. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what that is? That's a conditional promise. Because leading up to more than conquerors, it starts out what should separate us from the love of God. So persecution, phantom, sickness, hardships, all these things separate me from the love of God? No. In all these things, in all these things, I am more, more than a conqueror. You see, Robin, here's it, Mother Teresa, here's the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. In all these things, what shall separate you? God, through sickness, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on, God. I'm going to hold on. And if I do, that's a conditional promise. I'm going to become more than a conqueror because God greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Come on. Amen. I love this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Always remember this. Always remember this. God doesn't look for full. He looks for empty. God looks for empty so he can pour himself in you. So here's the conditional promise. My power is made perfect in my weakness. God, I'm not able. God, I'm not able. But, Lord, I know you are. I decrease, you increase. I empty out that you fill me up. God, that is, man, the thing. Lord, that's your unconditional promise. God, in my weakness, Lord, your promise is, God, to me that you will make me strong. Man, many times when I go into prayer, I'm tired, wore out, and fatigued. And I always say, weak when I kneel. Weak when I kneel. Man, God, I pour all my cares, my worries, my anxiety, my frustration. But powerful when I rise. Weak when I kneel, but powerful when I rise. That God, when I rise, God, you're going to take me up above. I'm going to wait on wings. With, I'm going to fly on wings as eagles. They that run will not grow weary. They walk and not faint. Why? Because weak when I kneel, but powerful when I rise. Because God takes your emptiness and fills you up with your spirit. And he says, I'm going to fill that person up. They're seeking me and they're going to find me. But I love this. That when the enemy tries to afflict you, Physically, no matter what happens to you physically here on earth, we win. Whether we go to meet our maker, we're going to win because we're going to see our maker. 
So God, if you take me here on earth, I'm going to see you in heaven. So no matter what, but the hope of that is, if I'm going through sickness of pain and affliction, 1 Corinthians 15.55, the unconditional promise that we have power over death. Devil, you come at me with swords and spears, but I come at you in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall bow, because the Bible said every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that you are Lord. So this sickness in my body is going to bow, this affliction in my body is going to bow, because I'm going to rise, and I'm going to defeat death, hell, and the grave because of the Spirit of God that lives in me. I overcame death, hell, and the grave, and that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more. I close with this. It's impossible to unscramble an egg, and it's impossible to come against God's Word. So Job... Job 3, verse 25, after he went through all this, and maybe this is you, in Job 3, verse 25, Job says, that which I feared has come upon me. Can I ask you a question? What are you fearing right now? What's your anxiety right now? The reason why I say this is because there's two things that happen when you walk in fear. Fear attracts attacks. So when you walk in fear, guess what you're going to attract? Attacks. You're given permission for the enemy to attack you. But faith attracts blessings, strength, power to be an overcomer. So that what you fear has come upon you. Are you attracting attacks or are you walking in faith? and attracting his blessings. Will you stand with me this morning? God is so good. Amen. I just want to say thank you for being here today. But I want to encourage you. In the first service, we had so many people that came down to the altar. The first service was amazing. But I don't know about you, but folks, sometimes we feel like we're fighting naked and we're fighting alone all by ourselves. And we can go back out into this world and go back to our homes, back to our jobs, and go back to our places or whatever we go to. But we can leave here empty-handed or we can leave here full. Here's the deal. The question is, are you going to allow people to stand in the gap and lift you up? When I was going through my back surgeries, five back surgeries, I was believing for my miracle. Man, I was believing Matter of fact, the last back surgery that I had, they ruptured my aorta in the back, and I was dehydrating. It was coming out the back of my back here, out of my incision where my back was. And I laid there on the bed, and I have to be honest with you, I had six chairs that were in my bedroom, and all my elders and board members came to visit me. And I'll never forget, Bill Grace and Terry Lawrence were there, and I had to get up to go to the restroom, unaware of what was really happening in my body. When I got up out of my bed to go to the restroom, my bed was soaked, just totally soaked. I was dehydrating, and it was leaking out my back, and I would have died. So what they did is they put me in the car, and they drove me to the hospital. And when I got to the hospital, they called ahead and said I was coming. They didn't even put me through check-in or anything else. They put me right immediately into surgery. I went into surgery, man, and I didn't even know really what was happening. I was feeling disillusioned because I was dehydrating. My, my flesh was getting kind of yellowy skin. They put me in, and they did surgery. But here's what really hit me when I came out of surgery and I survived. I had Terry Lawrence and Bill Grace there to help me. And if it wasn't for them, I probably would have laid there in my bed and died. Today, some of you need a Bill Grace and a Terry Lawrence in your life. 
You need someone to be the Aaron and the Hur to lift up your arms for the battles overcoming you. And when they lifted up Moses' arms, they won the battle. And some of you need God to help you right now to jump into your boat like he did Michael Swanson, like he did Ray's mother and brought healing to that cancer. Some of you need a touch in your body. Some of you need help. You're weak. And if that's you, I'm not going to have you bow your head and close your eyes. Raise your hand. Because if you mean business with God, God means business with you. And you say, Pastor, I need prayer. I need a Bill Grace and a Terry Lawrence in my life to support me and help me to pray with me. If that's you, I want you to come right now. You need prayer. Just step out. Come on. Come on. If you need prayer, you say, Pastor, I need prayer right now. I need someone to win this battle with me. I'm, I'm weak, Lord. I two or three agree. It shall be done. If that's you, I want you to step out. Come on. There's people coming. Come on. If you need prayer, come on. Just step out. Step out. Come on. They're coming. They're coming. Give them a hand as they come. Come on. They're, come on. If you need prayer, let somebody step into your boat and help you. Help you in your situation. Help you in your struggle. Stephanie, God bless you. God bless you, Stephanie. I'm so proud of you, girl. I am so proud of you. Becky, I'm so glad to see you today. And I listen, man, God bless you. Man, I'll tell you, all the way from Pine City. Now, I need some warriors to come up here and gather with these people. Come on. Come on, gather with my brother Bill. Come on. We need some warriors. Gather around Becky and my brother, my Catholic friend. <laughs> man, good to see you today. Come on. Come on, gather around, gather around, gather around these people. They need some love today. They need some love today. Let's, man, be the Aaron's and the hers, the Terry's and the Bill's in their lives. Let's pray for one another. Man, this battle, man, will we can win when we all come together. We're going to defeat heaven. We're going to defeat the devil. I mean, I love this. How are we going to fight for heaven? We're going to fight for heaven. As you're standing here, I want you to hear this. As we're going to fight for heaven. Listen to how we're going to fight for heaven. This week's challenge for you today. This week's challenge, Rose, man, I'm so proud of you, man. Ever since Valentine's banquet, you haven't missed a Sunday. I'm telling you, it's amazing. This week's challenge, listen, I want to listen, hear, hear this now. How are you going to fight for heaven? This week's challenge, fight for heaven in truth. Fight for heaven in faith. Fight for heaven in prayer. Fight for heaven over temptation. Fight for heaven over fear. Man, that's how you're going to fight for heaven this week. You're going to fight in faith. You're going to fight in truth. You're going to fight in prayer. You're going to fight over temptation. You're going to fight for heaven over fear in your life. Amen. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, I thank you for every one of these individuals. I thank you, God, that you're visiting them right where they're at right now. And God, you're helping them to become an overcomer. In all their struggles and situations of life, you are faithful to meet them where they're at right now. Father, I thank you that, God, they can cast all their cares upon you because you care for them. Lord, you say where two or three agree, it shall be done. Lord, you say where errands and the hers lift up each other's arms, the battle is won. And I pray whatever battle, situation, circumstance that these individuals are going through, that, God, they will win this battle, that they will fight for heaven with faith, that they will fight for heaven in prayer, that they will fight for heaven in truth, that God, they will walk in truth, and the truth will set them free. It will deliver them from the pain and the sorrows and the affliction that they're going through in life, that they will rise up and be as Jesus and say, it is written, and that God, they will win this battle. Thank you, Father, for each individual here today. We thank you that by your stripes, they are healed. That's an unconditional promise. Your word will not return void. It will accomplish that which it said it will do. And I thank you and I praise you for every individual that is here today. Bless them and keep them and may they walk in faith and not in fear. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you today. Thank you for listening to today's message. If this message has encouraged you in any way, please consider giving to Adventure Church to help continue this ministry. Giving is safe and easy through our website at www.adventurechurchsiren.com. Thank you for your generous support.